building all of these emotional connections in person, that doesn't pay off immediately. That requires a lot of patience. And so building an iconic brand is about adding value over and over and over again and emotionally connecting with people and not selling them. Hey, what's going on? I'm Benjamin Gottlieb, and this is Shopify On Location, coming to you this week from our offices in New York. If you can't find it here, there's a good chance you can't find it anywhere. Art, food, even a running club. They populate just about every neighborhood, from Brooklyn to Harlem and everywhere in between. Bandit Running is a company born out of one of these communities. It makes athletic gear and streetwear and creates content about the folks that live that lifestyle. Nick and Tim West are brothers and founders of Bandit Running. They made the trek this morning in the rain from Brooklyn to talk about building and marketing a community-based brand. Fellas, what a treat. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, nice to be here. Ah, so great to have you. First of all, I have to be real. If I'm running, it's usually after a ball, not just for fun. So I have to ask, what is the running culture like in New York for those of us who aren't in it? It's very inclusive. Anyone can be a part of it. There's a lot of first timers. There's a lot of experienced runners. And like you said, there's everything in between. It's a full spectrum. It's a very positive community, first and foremost, super supportive. Um, there's some competition at the higher level, which is super fun to watch, but it's very welcoming. This is the running club capital of the country, so to speak. It's not the world, right? Pretty That's much. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. So what makes New York the, the proper place for something like that? Well, New York is home to the largest marathon, the largest half marathon, one of the best mile races in the country, if not the world. Uh, most runners, most run clubs, and... New York is and is not a very runnable city, and it's a great way to meet different people, and it's just, it's super social, but it's also a great workout, and it's just, it's got all these elements of something that's very fun to be a part of, and New York is just super vibrant and very diverse and rich with culture and history, and a lot of that goes back to the sport of running, and it's just, it's kind of always been that way. Now, the origin story of Bandon is super interesting because it's almost like the community was more important. It came first, and then the brand and the products came later. Tim, tell me a little bit about that original idea. Yeah, so I was a member of Brooklyn Track Club, community that meets up Tuesday nights for me. They also have morning practices and Saturday long runs, but I would go to the Tuesday night practices, had a bunch of friends. Um, and it was very reminiscent of Nick and I's earlier days in Jersey in skateboard communities and surf communities and music communities. And to be a part of the running community was just very natural. And during COVID, I wanted to work on a side project for something that I was super passionate about. So back in like October 2020, right? That's then? exactly, that's when we launched. I started ideating in earlier in the summer, but there was this big influx of running happening during COVID. It was a way to be socially distant, but around people. It's a cardiovascular activity, so people wanted to make sure that they were um, taking care of that part of, of their lives. And that's kind of where it all started, was just on the track Tuesday nights, very naturally within this community. 
And it all started around one product, which I'm sure we'll get into. But, you know, for Nick and I, we loved our, our favorite brands were ones that were just built out of community, whether it was skateboard brands or surf brands. Usually those were just generated out of groups of friends who were doing an activity that decided, hey, we should we should brand this thing. Right. Um, and that's kind of how it happened for me. And Nick, during this early installment of Bandit, were you showing up at the track and running on Tuesdays? No, I had actually, so I had one daughter at home planning on having a second daughter. I was living in Williamsburg at the time, a tennis ball throw away from Tim. Like the U.S. Open reference there. Nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the walls closed in. We moved out to New Jersey, and I was really jealous because Tim just had started getting very deeply embedded in the running community. I actually flew during the pandemic out to my in-laws' place in Nashville, and I started, you know, I was seeing on social media him and his friends in this community, and I, I really started picking up my running routine during the pandemic, but away from from New York City. And and that's the thing about like these run club scenes is you don't have to like be in it to be super inspired by it. Um, and that's what we've tried to do with the brand is like you, you talked about how we, we do content. It's like we're at the Berlin Marathon. The majority of our community isn't there, but we can tell stories that inspire from really anywhere. Um, and that's kind of part of this, the secret sauce of the brand. But no, I was, I was not at the track. <laughs> I'm not a performance runner. I'm a runner more for like mental health and sanity and and uh, the brand represents really that full spectrum. So it's nice because we have a lot of people who work for Bandit who XD1 runners, pro runners at Nike, down to me, who it's a part of my identity. It's not my entire identity, though. So that's also been good just to have that diversity of perspective within the brand from the early days. It's really interesting. I think we use this phrase community building or a community-based brand. It's really vague. You know, it's like, what does that mean? What is community? How can someone who's listening to this podcast take that learning and use it for their own company? Maybe I'll ask you, Nick, I mean, what is community in the context of a company? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's something that we talked about a lot in the first. So Tim and I jumped from our full-time jobs. And for the first three months that we were working together, we were really focused on the mission, vision, values. And then our experience work, we both worked at jet.com together. I launched a baby food company and experienced really like this massive kind of seismic shift in the, the world of like paid acquisition, which is how a lot of like the DTC 1.0 companies were built, which is like chasing new customers, tweaking your creative and just getting better and better on Instagram and Google and Facebook. And Right, kind of finding the customers after you've got the thing you want to sell. Right, exactly. And so we really sat down and, and put, the learnings of the first, you know, part of our careers down on paper in terms of what's working and what's not working and created what we think is like really a next generation playbook for building alongside a community. And a lot of D2C brands, it's like we joke about like you have a D2C toaster brand, like and you're saying you have a community. It's like nobody's waking up and thinking about toasters. And so <laughs> Community building. I hate my toaster. <laughs> <laughs> Never works, always burns the toast, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. The community, it needs to exist in and of itself. There's a lot of communities, be it on Reddit or in person in the running world. And it's more tapping into that and figuring out how you can build alongside those people and not trying to cultivate your own thing because this ecosystem is is global. Like what exists in New York is this now in Berlin and, and Copenhagen. And so community building for us is about empowering and then 
also inspiring more participation and passion in the sport from a brand building perspective. And so if, you know, we're out there telling stories at Berlin Marathon, our goal is to then connect with somebody in person who's doing the New York City Marathon. And so it's really about tapping into the different communities and, and making their experience better and not necessarily saying we are the community. The community is a lot bigger than Bandit, but how can we lift up that community? And Tim, it doesn't matter where the community is, right? These are in-person interactions, but also there's a virtual and online community as well, right? It's one community. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, I gravitate a lot towards the in-person community. We love our in-person events. It's the most fun is meeting our community. But the, the great thing is that there's built-in experiences happening around the world for running that we can tap into, whether it's showing up at an international race or putting on a long run or making our own run in a different city or supporting a club that exists that has one of their annual events that's really fun and and could use some support to elevate it and amplify it and make it you know everything that they hope to make it um so the in-person stuff is really fun and then you know virtually there's no limits to to how many people you can reach and there's a lot of people who are not in cities and, and densely populated areas with tons of communities that are able to tap in in different ways, whether it's just like engaging with people they meet online, which we see happen all the time, which is amazing. Um, and finally getting to meet up with them in real life when they cross paths at a marathon. So that's one of the really great things about running is it just fosters these connections. Fosters these connections. You have built this very powerful, engaged community, but we're still somewhat talking about it in the abstract, right? Like, okay, so you mentioned this idea of the playbook. Yeah, let's let's build a community first. That's a more sustainable way, more successful way to have a brand and a business. But let's, can we go back to the origin, right? So Tim, you're on the track, it's COVID. You're running around, uh, you're a big Nike guy, right? But there was something about what you were wearing that, you, that wasn't resonating with you, wasn't working. And so you you did something about it. Yeah, I mean, I got more and more into ultra running. Super long distances. I did a 50 miler um, in training for these races. I just came across a problem with my socks where I was, I was just getting, you know, grandpa foot puddles of sweat, just poking holes. They just weren't supporting me. So me walking here this morning for the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Ended up seeking an alternative and I'm a brand guy. I love something that resonates with me and I really appreciate things that make a brand special. And so it's a balance, but for me, brand and product, they need to both work together and both be special. So you mean the actual marketing of the product or what the brand stands for? That's an interesting question. I think there's so much that goes into what a brand is. Right. It's hard to put a pin on it um, or my thumb on it, but um, just the overall brand, I would say, just for so we don't spend the next hour on (laughs) on what I think about, (laughs) you know, makes a great brand. But uh, long story short, couldn't find any brands that really resonated with me. Um, Nothing felt New York City to me. Nothing felt sort of how 
a reflection of my experience running. And so I decided um, to create a sock and um, center the brand around the community uh, that I was running with on a daily basis. And I promised myself two things when I started. It was I was never going to push the product on anyone, never really ask anyone to wear it or, you know, bring it up at practice. And I, I wasn't going to take out a paid ad for the first year. It's just not how I wanted people to discover the brand. I wanted them to like it. And my thinking was, if it's a good thing, then it'll work itself out. And over the course of the year, I held those two things true. And sure enough, that line of thinking and that philosophy really resonates with people in New York City, specifically, who are constantly advertised to or pushed products on um, and really have more of an appetite for things that are a little bit more independent and not as as pushy. Um, and so the product kind of caught fire in, in New York City. And, you know, one thing led to another and fast forward a few years later, and now it's a little bit different of a beast, but we keep evolving it. And yeah, it's a lot of fun to see where it goes. If I may, that sounds so counterintuitive, right? I mean, that story, we've been doing these interviews across North America for the past year. And to think about starting a brand, you don't want to advertise for the first year and you're not going to tell anybody about the product unless they ask. I mean, Nick, that's not what the, let's say the classic uh, entrepreneur is doing with their products, right? No, it's not. It was self-funded for the first year. And so uh, everything that that Tim did in, in the first year was like out of necessity. It's like, you know, he promised that to himself, but like also could we afford it is the question? Probably not. But our goal is, as brothers, we worked together in the past. We always wanted to build a really iconic consumer brand like that. That's what interests us in the business world. And I think something that ultimately becomes iconic has a really organic, authentic start to it. And because it was a side project and it was self-funded and there was no like outside pressure, we were able to stick to these two principles, which ultimately it's, so when something spreads by word of mouth, that's the best way for it to spread. And so before we took off from our full-time jobs and jumped into this full-time, we had this really organic foundation. The next step was saying, okay, we kind of understand what the magic of the brand is, what we've done across that past year. We have a lot bigger ambitions and aspirations. So how do we take that magic and scale it while maintaining the authenticity, which is the real, that's the real opportunity for us. I mean, the way that we're building the brand is not fast money. It's it's actually a lot scarier to try to build an iconic brand than to try to build a marketing funnel that's going to just optimize for conversion because building all of these emotional connections in person, that doesn't pay off immediately. Adding value to your community over and over and over and over again, and then at some point, hopefully, that you know they're going to purchase your products, that requires a lot of patience. Building an iconic brand is about doing the right thing and adding value over and over and over again and emotionally connecting with people and not selling them. The best way you just said to grow a brand is word of mouth, which is in this day of multi-channel, omni-channel marketing seems counterintuitive, but really a great learning. 
Gentlemen, let's get to this moment where you have this great idea. You're doing this during COVID. It starts to take off. There's this organic energy around your products, a sock, right? It starts with a sock. And then you're like, oh shit, like this could become something real. We, we might need to leave our jobs and go full time. Maybe I'll start, Nick, with you. When did you know that this was going to be something that you could dedicate yourself to? Tim and I, you know, he'd be setting up the back end of the Shopify going into each subsequent drop. And I'd be QAing the product content and watching it. And then he would click the launch button. And it was like, every time we did a drop across the first year, it everything was selling out faster at bigger drops. And knowing that we weren't like paying for the audience that was coming, it was just clear that there was something special about it. And he had added a couple of products, like we did a run hat and uh, we did a hoodie and it was like everything that we put out, people were eating up. And that was really like testing the waters of, do we have range outside of just a run sock? Because like the run sock is a trust building product. It's a repeat product. that has got great margins. Like it's got all the hallmarks of a great initial product, but we never wanted to be a sock company. Um, we wanted to like really have an impact on this sport that's had a really positive impact on our lives. And so the ambitions were like in the back of our heads, always a lot bigger than, than just the sock. You're both athletes. And when it comes to taking that leap, we think about that a lot when we talk to merchants and when they know like, Hey, I'm going to leave my job. We have bills to pay. You have kids. I have kids. So I can relate to that. It's a, it's a, it's a scary thing to do. Um, is there a moment Tim, when you're like, this is what I want to do, I'm going to drop everything else. Nick and I have always wanted to drop everything else <laughs> and, and do something. So for me, I have no kids, no, you know, no major responsibilities. It was a no brainer. I wanted to do it as soon as the opportunity came up. And, you know, but I think the experiences were probably a little bit different. It's scary for a lot of people. And it's a scary thing to do. What I always came back to is, how much I would regret not doing it and knowing that I would much prefer to do it and fail and I would land on my two feet, I'd figure it out, than not do it all and live with the idea of, you know, what if. Just making the leap for me was, was kind of easy, um, but, you know, that's not the case for everyone and I understand that. It's not the case for everyone. It's the case for you two. Uh, and there were a lot of options that you could have gone with to kind of accelerate this, right? Again, just to recap, we started with the community, something very organic. I'm picturing you just kind of pulling up at the track or in, in town and you got your socks on some guys like, or person, hey, what's that? And you're like, oh, I'll tell you all about it. But then you came with us, you picked Shopify. Why? Why'd you pick Shopify? Because I didn't use Shopify at my last company, and that was a major learning. I launched a, a omni-channel D2C brand, and we were using uh, a platform that will go unnamed. Uh, <laughs> and everybody else, all of my other founder friends were on Shopify. And I don't have to do a lot of research if the people that I trust are telling me one thing. And so it's just kind of a no-brainer to use Shopify. It sounds like an ad, but it's true. <laughs> well, I mean, but but why? I mean, if we could drill down just a little bit more, wh why is it a no-brainer? Is there something that stands out that's just so much easier? You have this experience of using this nameless brand, right? I mean, yeah, what, yeah. 
it's just easier is really what it comes down to, to like to, to get something off the ground, like just the backend CMS is a lot more intuitive. The out of the box options that you have are, it, it's just everything is more intuitive and easier. And you know, based on other huge brands that are on the Shopify platform, that not only is it easy to get started, but you can scale with that platform. And there are a lot of others that you can jump into that are too big for you early on. Um, and then you're overpaying or you jump into them and they don't scale with you. And Shopify is very much the platform that you can jump into and you can get something launched like in 24 hours, but you can also be a billion dollar company with it. And I, I don't think that there's another platform out there like that. It's very true. We try to be as scalable as possible. And we're going to get more into what happened to both of you and the company after you started to grow in the subsequent years. My guests today, Tim and Nick West, founders of Bandit Running. By the way, if you're listening to our show right now and you like what you're hearing, do us a favor. Please, please, please leave a comment wherever you are listening and subscribe to the podcast too, Shopify Masters. Thank you. Storytelling, it's a big part of your content strategy, but it's not as easy as it sounds, right? I mean, I actually teach storytelling at the collegiate level, so I know it's one thing to have an idea or a message, but to put that to paper or to put that to a video, it's difficult. So I'm curious, Tim, what do you think makes for a good story in the context of bandit running? I think good, creative makes you feel understood and resonates with you. And we're really good at Bandit at taking the mundane moments of running and showing you actually how special and lovely and elegant and fun they are. Whether it's yourself meeting up with friends in a park, there's these subtle details to those experiences that have gone overlooked in creative in running. And I think people really enjoy feeling understood and feeling like a brand gets them and gets their experience. And they love when a brand feels authentic and they know and can feel confident that the folks behind the brand are the same as them. You're walking the walk, or in this case, you're running the run, right? Yeah, that, right. yeah exactly. Um, for runners, by runners is one of our mantras. And there's a lot of different stories to be told from doing what I was just talking about to doing a lot more interesting, creative, wacky ideas um, that serve their own purpose and take running to a more mythical place that you never think imagined. Um, and there's all of these different ways to storytell running. And then there's really raw moments as well. And, and showing somebody's true experience as they've run a race or trained for something. And there's a lot of different ways to tell the story. But I think at the end of the day, the common denominator of what makes the story great is, is it giving you a visceral reaction because of how understood it makes you feel? I love the passion in which you're, you're, drawing on to describe this, right? You mentioned earlier, you've done some ultra running. I've seen videos of friends or just people online. They fall on the dirt. They're bleeding from their knee, right? They're exhausted, like 
jamming carbs down their throat after they've run a bunch. I mean, those are the details that make the storytelling relatable, right? Exactly. And there's been some amazing campaigns that do exactly that, that show the ugly side of running. For the majority of creative, it has been the same beautiful stride elevated with a smile the polished on. version, right? Exactly, um, which is not super, super relatable for the bulk of runners. And I think showing that other side of it and, and coming back to reality is really powerful and something that I think brands across various industries can do. Everything is made to be the perfect version, very polished, very... Um, perfected when in fact i think the creative that works in this day and age and and maybe it'll come full circle and pendulum will swing back but right now what really works is the messiness and the the realness and the rawness of creative you agree nick 100 percent, yeah and it's really just it, it's like it's not something you won't be able to come up with a creative idea like that with a focus group, right? That would be like a, a reversion to the mean, and you're gonna come up with that like polished image because um, you're not thinking about the nuances, and and the nuances is are that's really where the ma magic is at. Um, so we we are always thinking a lot about like, yes, running is a straightforward sport, no pun intended, um, <laughs> but. The running experience. We've been good on the puns so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're killing it on the puns. <laughs> uh, but the running experience is like internally, it's a very complex thing. You go through such a range of emotions. And yeah, we're not talking to focus groups to figure out our creative. We're like talking as a team because we all have different experiences in running and we're just trying to be authentic to our own experiences. You're trying to be authentic to your own experiences. You're also walking the walk. You're living this. And you have a physical location in Brooklyn, in, in Greenpoint, right? Why did you decide to open a retail space, especially in this environment where, you know, it's expensive to, to rent or own a physical location and your customers are coming from all over the world, right? You have customers abroad. We were talking before we started that you have a big audience in Mexico City. They're not coming to your New York stores. So why did you decide to open a retail space? Yeah, I think the typical retail strategy is super expensive and there's a lot of capex that you have to do up front. Our strategy from the start was to not be on a shopping street, but to be on a running route. The main running route in Brooklyn goes down West Street along the water. And our goal was to pay a lot less than the average rent, but build a community out of the space, which would ultimately make it successful. And so We've got a water jug out there, and um, if you're on your run, you can stop in front of the store, and that might be the first way that you have an entry point to the brand. And we also launched a run club out of it, so we've got like 100 to 150 folks every Saturday who come to the store. They do an easy three to five miles. An easy uh, three to five miles. Yeah, an, an easy three to five miles. <laughs> no big deal. We have first-time <laughs> runners every week who come to the store and say, that's the longest I've ever ran. And that that's like a really cool experience to be able to have with somebody in the community. Um, and so the strategy for the initial store is really the blueprint for the next one, which is we, we don't want to be like super burdened by high rents. And we know that if we take this community first strategy and we really make it a hub for people in that community and we're adding value to it and we're inspiring more participation and passion in the sport in that community, that we can have a really unique model from a retail standpoint. Kind of like a retail space as part of your marketing strategy, no way. Well, it's funny because 
before we had the retail space, we were doing a lot of those same things out of our office, which is ground level, actually a few blocks from the store. And so we were hosting races and long runs and feedback meetups at our office. The opportunity came to open up a hybrid store fulfillment center, which is now fully a store. We kind of quite literally, you know, sledgehammer to the walls and no way. <laughs> well, not, not me personally. I would have loved to, they wouldn't let me, but, uh, I tried for the best. For Wasn't the best. a lack of trying. Um, but what has been so special about having a store and, and, you know, can't be stressed enough is the importance of being able to interact with your customer in real life and get that real time feedback and hear how they're thinking through their buying decisions and thinking through and, and what they're asking for and what they're requesting. And so every day, Nick and I pop over to the store and hang out for, you know, 20, 30 minutes, see who comes in, talk to whoever's working that day. And those interactions have quite literally driven our decision making for the next collection. It's funny, when you do this enough, you start to hear some themes from some of our most successful vendors. What you just said about getting that customer feedback reminds me of an episode we did in San Francisco back in April. By the way, you can listen to it on shopify.com slash podcasts. We spoke to the founder of a company called Third Love. They make women's undergarments, right? Lingerie. And their whole thing was customer feedback. They have these big events where people will come and try on the bras, see what fits, see what doesn't. And it's really interesting uh, that you also have found this to be a successful strategy. Yeah, I think right now on our Instagram story is first person to come to the office can wear test a new product that we have. Um, there might be a line already out there. there yeah, <laughs> we'll probably be a couple of disappointed people, but we have plenty of protos to get some feedback on. That level of quick turn feedback and those interactions are what drive our entire kind of assortment strategy. Nick, you guys are big on events as a marketing tool, right? We were talking about this before we started. Pop-ups, uh, you've been at other races, whether it's the New York Marathon, whether you're abroad in Copenhagen and Denmark where you just came back from. Why are pop-ups, why are events such a good idea for brands? You know, when, when we did our first pop-up, we weren't 100% sure that it was a good idea. And we tried to jog before we sprint against really like any bet that we're making on the marketing side. And so our first pop-up was super scrappy and and we had goals in terms of programming throughout the weekend. So we did a live podcast in our first space and we have a shakeout run. And so we put some goals on paper in terms of what we knew would be a good return on that weekend on a really scrappy budget. So we had a case study to start. Pop-ups might not work in in every single category. Um, we were pretty sure that it would work in running just because of the concentration of people during major marathons. If we could get those people to our pop-up and add value to their weekend and make it even more magical than it already is, then we thought that it could be really special for us. And so we had the revenue goals, we had the lead goals, and our marketing team did a big debrief session. And, and we really figured out, okay, this is how much Given the participation for a marathon, we should be spending in order to hit the goals for each of those individual events. Um, but it is hard to, to attribute leads, for example, or any sort of data to a pop-up, right? Well, 
Not really, because like for a ShakeOut run, for example, we'll have an Eventbrite and you have to sign up for it. And so that lead is it's very concentrated for that one specific thing. Um, you have to make sure that you're setting up the infrastructure of the weekend to be able to track those things. And and that's all very deliberate and, and planned. And, um, you know, we see e like general e-commerce sales spike during those weekends from other cities. And so you start to understand what's the halo effect um, because you're getting the direct sales at that pop-up, but there's obviously like audience engagement and people are watching what's happening at the New York City Marathon and they're buying a product even though they lived in Austin, Texas. And so we try to take all of those data points with every pop-up that we do and get smarter in terms of the spend, how many events we should be doing, how much staff we should have. All of those are like big learning experiences because for us as a small brand, it's a huge bet to get four of our marketing people to go out to Berlin to do a pop-up. And so, I mean, if I was to recommend to any other entrepreneurs, like definitely run before you sprint. There's ways to do pop-ups in really scrappy ways. You could partner with other retail stores. Um, you can, you know, hit up landlord. Like we, we've done crazy <laughs> stuff to find spaces. Um, everything we do is super scrappy and we negotiate the crud out of everything. And um, that's what it takes early on is because you want to learn without betting the farm. And so before you get super polished, like this will be the first Chicago and New York this this year will be like, we're really doing it how we've always wanted to do it because we've done 10 other pop-ups across the last 12 months and we've had a ton of learnings. Community building, yep. storytelling, and events. Pretty simple, straightforward, but important keys to success for Bandit Running. Tim, Nick, Really great to speak with both of you today. I have to ask, either of you running New York Marathon, New York City Marathon? We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not. I'll be running the store. I'll probably do a marathon within the pop-up that weekend. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I ran last year after working our pop-up, and it was um, more of a death march than a race, but it was, <laughs> uh, you know, I can't resist New York. It's tough. If you can. Fellas, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. That's Tim and Nick West, the founders of Bandit Running. Shopify Masters is produced by Megan Coyle and Gogo Zoger. Our engineers are Matthew Schwartz and Miku Betlam. Video production today by Matt Ninabar. Special thanks to Genevieve Garner and Easton Carter Angle. Our host is Shwang Esther Shan, and I'm Benjamin Gottlieb. Come hang out with us next week, same time, right here, for more episodes from New York City. Music.